the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus is the one, dear heart, not another. Christ is the answer, not a question. And when Jesus prays, the devil shuts up. When Jesus prays, the sound of ridicule and the sound of sniping ends with angels' music. When Jesus prays, all the power of God pours out of the black hole of the most holy place of the universe into him and through him down to you where you need help. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the ninth in the Cosmic Controversy series, and it's entitled Joshua and the Adversary. Now, we'll bring you the first portion of this broadcast here today, but due to our time constraints, we are unable to complete it. It's always available for you on the website, reachingyourheart.com, or feel free to join us again the next time we get together. But let's get started with the first portion of Joshua and the Adversary, today's Reaching Your Heart. At the heart of every person's need is the truth that no soul can find God unless God finds the soul. No heart can heal the hurt that only God can heal. No life can mend the broken life that is broken within without Him. At the heart of the human predicament is a heart that needs grace. In fact, it is the universal cry of people everywhere that is the cry for a God who brings grace. In our alienation, God is far. When when grace comes, God is near. No amount of education, no amount of effort can change the fact that we're all born on the wrong side of Eden's door. And the gospel is the good news. It's not just good news. It is the good news. It is the gospel of God's grace. And the only way to find God is for grace to find you. And the only way to open the door that has been shut by sin is to knock and call upon the Lord and to hear Him come to the door, to feel the hand that is on the door reaching down to you, and to have God open the door with God's grace. Grace is the opposite of what we expect in life. But grace is exactly what everyone needs nonetheless. Grace is God's work. It's not your work. It's not the church's work, it's God's work that finds you when you can't find God and you think that God can't find you either. Grace finds you. Grace is what you do not deserve. That is why it is grace. And grace comes in the face of disgrace as the gift of God's grace and presence that lifts the face and the presence of life to see a face that you do not deserve. Grace is the hand that pulls you up when you cannot lift yourself up. And grace is the face with open eyes that forgives you when you cannot forgive yourself because of what you see in yourself. Grace is the gospel. It's not a gospel. It is the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of grace, but not just any grace. It is God's grace that is God's good news that reverses the verdict of the final judgment day and sets the soul free to live forever. 
In the Bible, Joshua was a high priest without a temple. He was a minister without a church. He was like so many of the people of his day who had endured the long captivity in Babylon. They began to question God's presence in their life. They were wondering if the great God of the Exodus could visit them again. And there was no mystery why his people went into Babylon. It was very clear. Daniel said they had sinned, that God was righteous in all of his actions, and the people had sinned. Nehemiah started his ministry by confessing his sin to God. Daniel's prayer was answered when he confessed his sin to God and the sin of his people. But Joshua was the man who was supposed to pray for his people and confess their sin as the intermediary between the people and God. It was his job to take the incense and stand before God and pray away the problem. He was to be the prayer hero for the nation, the high priest. But here he is in Zechariah. Here he is, a high priest who cannot pray. He was just a man who couldn't open the door of sin and she could not shut it. He had no access into God's presence and in no way of opening it up for others. In the Bible, the devil has a very clear job description. Did you know this? The devil has a clearly defined job description. His job description can be summarized in one word. Accuse. Accuse. Revelation 12.10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. The devil doesn't pray for you. The devil has never prayed for you. The devil's full-time job is to accuse you. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. We've established that here in our series. He was the guardian protector of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was that special guardian assigned to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai that led the people of Israel through their entire history in the Old Testament. In fact, Isaiah the prophet called him the Redeemer who is in fact the Lord. He himself possesses the divine name Jehovah or Yahweh, the angel of the Lord who is the Lord. And Isaiah is very clear in Isaiah 63. It says, in all of their affliction, he was afflicted and the angel of the Lord was the one who carried them all the days of old. So the first Joshua who conquered the promised land, he met this angel of the Lord just before he came to the promised land. He saw a man who was a warrior standing there. He saw him with drawn sword in hand. And so he took out his sword and he approached him and he asked him the question. He said, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And suddenly the captain of the Lord's host said this. He said, I am the captain of the armies of the Lord. Take off your shoes for you stand on holy ground. And what did Joshua do in the story? He fell down and worshipped at that site because he recognized that the angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host, is in fact the Lord. So Joshua the high priest was not as bold as the Joshua who conquered the promised land. He did not approach the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword in his hand. Instead, he stood before the angel of the Lord and he couldn't speak. He was a priest who couldn't pray. He had nothing to say. He was silent when it was his job to pray to God and to seek the favor of the angel of the Lord. Now Joshua the high priest, it's no accident here, carried the name that Jesus would receive centuries later. The name Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. He was the link in history between the Joshua who led Israel to the promised land and the final Joshua who was to come, whose name would be Jesus in the Greek, but Joshua in the Hebrew, who would lead the church and all the people of God to the promised land that is final and for good. 
He stands in history between the two great Joshuas. And he is here sandwiched between the deliverer of the Old Testament era and the deliverer from sin in the New Testament era. And he is not great at all as he stands as a little man who cannot even pray as a high priest. With bowed head, he cannot face the angel of the Lord. And he lifts his eyes to the eyes of fire that see within. He just bows his head. He cannot face him. So here is the man who cannot enter in, who cannot overcome the challenge of his own personal disgrace and the sense of his sin and failure. And paradoxically, Joshua is the high priest who holds the future of the nation in his prayer ministry. He is the key that will open the door. And he is anything but high. He is humbled and low as he stands before the angel of the Lord. That's the context of Zechariah 3 verse 1. Take your Bibles, open them with me, and let's look at this passage as we analyze what was transpiring in this most curious encounter between the angel of the Lord, Satan, and Joshua the high priest. Zechariah 3 1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now so much is contained in this verse. Joshua the high priest stands before the angel of the Lord. He stands where he needs to stand. He's not standing outside the temple. He's standing in the presence of the one who can help him. Dear heart, if you're struggling with sin and you have been overcome in your life by sin and you feel like staying away from church, you feel like absenting yourself from the presence of those who are seeking God, and maybe in your personal prayer life, your prayers bounce off the ceiling And you feel like God can't hear you. In this context, Joshua is doing the right thing. He is standing in the presence of the Lord, facing the angel of the Lord. The text is very clear. Now, Satan, in in this verse, was standing at the right hand of the angel of the Lord. Is that not, in fact, what the text says? Yes or no? It says he was standing where? At his right hand to accuse him. Now, only one person stands in the face of the angel of the Lord in the context, and that is not Satan. He's to his side. The only person who is facing the Lord is Joshua the high priest. That means Satan may be able to accuse you, dear heart, but he cannot stand between you and the Lord. Did you hear what I said? He may be able to accuse you, but he cannot stand between you and the Lord. He may be the only one that's speaking because you can't speak, because you've been silenced. But Satan cannot come between the Lord's eyes and you if you stand in the presence of the Lord. If you can't pray and you can't say a thing to God because your sense of fear and sin has overcome you, you can still stand in the presence of the Lord. You can come to church, you can stand before Him, and God will take that as a prayer that He Himself will pray and interpret in your behalf. And the Lord will not let Satan stand between you and Him if you take your stand in such a place. The Bible is very clear that Satan was standing at the right hand of the angel of the Lord to accuse him. The right hand in the Bible is always the hand of favor. It is the hand that Joshua needs on his shoulder. It is the hand that reaches out to touch and to hold and to keep when you can't hold and keep yourself. It is the hand that every believer needs to feel in life. And when you're out of touch with who you are, it's the hand that touches you. The right hand of favor that defines who you are. It's no accident that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. The right hand is where we need to be, in a sense, because that hand helps. So Satan was standing at the right hand of the angel of the Lord to accuse Joshua. 
The Hebrew word translated accuse is the verbal equivalent of the personal name Satan. Literally, he was there sataning him. He was sataning Joshua the high priest. So what is the root idea behind this verb to Satan something? Which is literally what we find here in the Hebrew that's translated to accuse. When someone accuses someone, they speak against them. We all know that. That's happened. But that is not exactly the idea of the verb used here. The very first time this word occurs in the Bible, it isn't used about the devil at all. In fact, it's used to describe the angel of the Lord. And so the angel of the Lord is the first person in the Bible that satans something. So we need to look at the verse to understand what's going on here. The devil is actually doing something that the angel of the Lord had done before. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Numbers 22:22. Here the verse describes the angel of the Lord in this fourth book of Moses who was standing in the road to meet Balaam as he was coming on his donkey. And as he was coming, he was going to kill Balaam because Balaam was after God's people. And the donkey spoke out and saved Balaam's life barely. I I wish there was a recording of that. I'd love to hear what a donkey had to say. If a donkey can speak, it means these animals that we have have enough intelligence maybe to understand what we say. Now, I know my dog Avalanche understands what I say. I say, come, and he looks at me like, drop dead, you know. He knows exactly what I'm asking him to do, and he does exactly the opposite. He understands human speech. Now, Numbers 22, verse 22, and God was very angry because he went. Now, here's Balaam going, trying to find some way to get the money to curse Israel. He knows God has told him not to, but he wants to because he wants the outcome of personal wealth rather than the road of commitment to those that God has committed himself to. And so God was very angry because he went. Some people think God can't get angry. God would never be angry. The Bible says Jesus was angry. Now, there's a difference between the wrath or anger of God and what we call human anger and wrath. God's anger is always a passionate commitment for life. So it says here, And God was very angry because he went. And the angel of the Lord rose up to withstand him. Now he he had mounted his ass and his two servants were with him. This verse describes Balaam who insisted on going to Balak as the prophet who desired to curse Israel. The text says the angel of the Lord rose up to withstand him. The word translated withstand is the same verb that we saw in Zechariah 3.1, which means to accuse or to literally to Satan him. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will continue in just a moment. Stay tuned. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Or you can stop by our website, reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. So here is the angel of the Lord sataning him. Now, what does that mean? What's well, very clear in the context. The word means to obstruct, to stand in the way, to withstand. It isn't just the idea of accusing because he's saying nothing in the context. Instead, he's just standing there preventing him from going through. 
And so the word could really be translated to obstruct or to be a physical adversary who engages an enemy. When you Satan someone, you obstruct the way and you oppose them directly. And that's the meaning of this word. So here is Satan in Zechariah 3.1 standing at the right hand of the angel of the Lord to physically obstruct and withstand Joshua. And yes, you can have the idea of accuse there. The verb is a physical verb with violent force. Satan is not just accusing with his mouth. He is moving toward Joshua with violent intentions to obstruct him, to Satanize him, to withstand him as the angel of the Lord had done so with Balaam and to stop Joshua from moving forward, if necessary, to strike out and kill Joshua. The accuser is Satan who is the one who speaks against the brethren, acts against the brethren with violent force to keep them out of heaven. He is the adversary who does more than speak against you. He seeks to destroy you. So it's no accident that Satan is standing at the right hand of the angel of the Lord. The text is very clear here. Satan is not moving in the context. He's standing. Now, so we must ask the question, why is he standing? Why is Satan standing still at the right hand of the angel of the Lord and not moving in to withstand and obstruct Joshua? Why is he there and not moving? There's only one reason why. There's only one reason why. The right hand of the angel of the Lord is the hand that holds him back. It is the hand that holds the sword that stops him. It's the hand that shuts him up so he can't speak anymore. It's the hand that grabs him and makes him stand still. And he's by the throat, unable to move forward and to hurt Joshua. So imagine, if you will, Satan making all the noise and suddenly a strong hand lifts him off the ground, squeezing him and holding him tight so he can no longer speak out or say or move against Joshua. That's the picture we have here. Not a passive angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord doing what he needs to do to protect his people. Zechariah 3, 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now in the context, there are two lords here, not one. The Lord that is speaking to Satan and the Lord he calls upon for help. I mean, it's very clear. The angel of the Lord in the context is the Lord. The Hebrew is the word for Jehovah or Yahweh. He is the God of Israel. The mighty God of the Exodus is the God who speaks out as the angel of the Lord. Just like at the burning bush when Moses came to see God and there the angel of the Lord called out to him and God was speaking. So God is speaking through the angel of the Lord because he is the Lord. And he calls out to the Lord who hears the angel of the Lord. So we see God in relationship interacting to save Joshua the high priest. Dear heart, Jesus alone stands in the position of favor before God because Jesus is the Lord. You cannot diminish who Jesus is in your life and have victory over evil. Christ is the Lord who calls upon the Lord when you're in trouble. When you can't speak out for yourself, when you can't pray effectual prayers, when you can't overcome the enemy in your life, Jesus prays for you and Jesus speaks and Jesus calls on the name of the Lord for you. In John eleven forty one, 41, Jesus stood at Lazarus' tomb and he said something that was so profound. He said, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now, God always listens to Jesus. Sometimes we wonder if God listens to us, right? You ever wonder if God hears your prayer? Well, it's not as important a question. The real question is, does God hear Jesus' prayer? And that is why Jesus prays for his people. He is the mighty prayer warrior in the heavenly sanctuary that God always hears. 
Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, He is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, the testimony to which was born at the proper time. Jesus is the one, dear heart, not another. Christ is the answer, not a question. And when Jesus prays, the devil shuts up. When Jesus prays, the sound of ridicule and the sound of sniping ends with angels' music. When Jesus prays, all the power of God pours out of the black hole of the most holy place of the universe into him and through him down to you where you need help. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, but that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Wow, what an awesome thought. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. When you fail, your faith does not have to fail. You see, it's not about performance. It's about presence, God's presence in your life. If Jesus is praying for you because you fail or because you might fail, it means God is with you. He is praying for you to keep from falling and failing. And even if you should, he is praying that you will not fall away from faith. When a person gets discouraged in life, the temptation is there to give up the faith and to give up on life. Lots of people speak of God these days. And lots of people speak for God. And Satan's snipes are always in the shadows trying hard to obstruct and to confuse people so they will not come to Jesus or come to church. Joshua was standing in the presence of the angel of the Lord and he couldn't pray as the high priest should have prayed. He couldn't say a thing. So what happens when that is not possible? In the context, the angel of the Lord who is Jesus prayed for him. The angel of the Lord performs three deliberate actions that restore and establish Joshua as the high priest. These three great actions are just as true today for you as they were for Joshua in his day. In fact, they are more true because we live on this side of the cross of Christ. And these three essential truths of the gospel can find you, can fill you, can hold you and direct you in a path of God's grace every day. Zechariah 3, verse 3. Let us read together. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich apparel. Grace action number one. Jesus removes your filthy garments of sin from you. Now, that may not sound very deep and theological, but, dear heart, that's what we need in life. It may not be something you can analyze and write a research paper about, but it's something that will take you from this world to eternity. The key word in this context is remove. You know, forgiveness is one thing. We all need it. We need to give it, and we need to receive it. When God forgives you, He declares that your sins are no longer counted against you for condemnation. He clears your legal slate. They do not belong to you anymore. And that's good news. How many of you are grateful for that in the gospel? And when God removes your sins from you, they don't define who you are anymore. The Hebrew word for forgiveness means to carry. Literally, to carry. God is a gracious God who carries His people. It means He forgives them. Jesus carries your sins away. And that's better news than just saying you're forgiven. 
In the gospel, you're no longer identified with the sin that has defined you in life because Jesus has removed the filthy garments from you. You and the sin that define you have become separate realities in your past, your present, and your future. In Jesus, you cannot be identified with it anymore. Paul says we have died to sin. Your past is no longer your past if you have come to Jesus. You can consciously and willingly separate yourself from it. In Jesus, your past has been taken away from you unless, of course, you ask God to give it back. God will give it back to you if you insist on it. Your past becomes his past. You know, it's no accident in the Gospels that Christ is retracing the footsteps of his ancient people. They went up into a high mountain to receive the law. He gave the Beatitudes on a high mountain. For 40 years, they were in the wilderness. For 40 days, he was tempted. We see Jesus retracing the footsteps of his ancient people. And where they fail, he does not fail. Where they fall short, he follows through. And where they lack faith, he has faith. And so the faith of Jesus becomes a new history for his people, a new beginning for those who will latch on to him. So in the gospel, God deals with your yesterdays, dear heart, today. And he lets you go free every day for the rest of your life if you are in Jesus. The book of Hebrews says there is a sacrifice for sins that is a constant reality that we have in relation to him. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of Joshua and the Adversary. We'll pick this up the next time we get together here on Reaching Your Heart. It is available online at reachingyourheart.com. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.